0: Cool, <laughs> Jazzy. Would you mind praying for sure. tonight? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I thank you for tonight, and thank you that the uh, Coleman and Steve uh, have opened up their home, as they always do every week, uh, no matter the amount of people, just to come here and be dedicated to uh, your Word and just knowing you, and thank you that we can know you corporately together uh, as a body, Jesus and each of us bringing individual gifts and uh, walks of life together to um, just yeah, just glorify you and come to know you more. So I pray that the word that you have spoken to Steve um, would just be poured out through him um, and we would be able to take away from it something we can just live out in our lives and that speaks to us individually, God, that will just connect us to each other more and most of all to you, God. So I pray that you would bless it and give us ears to be aware of what you want to say to us, God. Amen. Amen. Alright, we are continuing in Acts. We're going to finish chapter 8 tonight, so we can turn there. And if you remember last week, we uh, were following Philip into Samaria and we met Simon the Samaritan, and they're sort of being dispersed because. Saul is like rounding people, Christians up, and arresting them, killing some of them. And so Christians are sort of starting to spread out, disperse. And so that's why Philip went to Samaria. And so he preaches to the Samaritans. A bunch of people get saved. A bunch of people get baptized. And... A bunch of people are filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're at. And right after this happens, it says that they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in uh, many villages of the Samaritans. That's in verse 25 of Acts chapter 8. So we're going to pick it up right where we left off, which is verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south... ...along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. I love Philip. His obedience is uh, immediate. We're going to see that some more in his life as we read on. It says, And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury... And had come to Jerusalem to worship. So, just from verse 27, we gather a ton of information about this this guy that Philip is about to meet. He's a black guy, Ethiopian. Uh, That's Mm. sort of one of the more obvious ones. He's a eunuch, which uh, we don't have to get super into unless you guys are really uh, (laughs) interested and curious about that. But... What this really means is that he worked very closely with the royal family. He's a prominent man. He's he's recognized because of his association with this family. He's under the, the power of Candace, who is called the Queen of Ethiopia. And he is a powerful man. He's not only prominent, being recognized and being... You know, somebody who like, oh, that's the guy, you know, but he's also a powerful man and he's rich because not only is he getting paid a lot by the royal family to have this super important job, but he's also in charge of all of the royal family's money. All the the decisions go through this guy. Also, it says that he went to Jerusalem to worship. So the Bible would call this guy a proselyte. Meaning, he is not Jewish, but he is living as a Jew. He is, he has been, well, uh, maybe not circumcised because of his <laughs> <laughs> situation, <laughs> but he is he is living the life of a Jewish man. He's going to Jerusalem to uh, celebrate some big feast and to worship there. Also, because we're talking about the eunuch. Thing, It is possible that he wasn't sort of physically a eunuch, but that he was just l- living the life of, like, an unmarried person. That That is possible. Unlikely, since it just throws it out there, but that is a that possibility. That, like, people would just live a life and they would be referred to as, like, a eunuch? Yes. Yeah, so even Jesus talks about that a little bit in, I think it's Matthew 19, okay. where people say like oh well would it be better not to marry and he says well some people are eunuchs from birth some are made eunuchs by men which would be like the physical eunuch uh and then he says and some uh choose to be a eunuch meaning they're living a life of being celibacy, celibacy. Okay. and so sometimes they wouldn't you know actually be emasculated men they would just be living a life like that but again whether it be the way he's dressed that shows that that's what he's doing, maybe out of respect of of God, because Jesus even says like some people make this choice for God to live, live a life that's totally committed to God. So it could have been that that he had some sort of dress where you look at him and you're like, oh, he's he, he's he's choosing to uh, be celibate like for, the, for the glory of God. Yeah, <laughs> because again, like in Judaism, like that's always been a thing. Different sorts of hats or different sorts of like. Tassels that show like this is my thing, you know what I mean? So yeah. it could have been that way that maybe that's why it's pointing it out that he's like, okay, this is just a a, a celibate guy. So we don't that's, fully know everything about it. Am but... I the only one, too, who finds it weird that there's a Queen Candace? Am I the only one who thinks that it feels kind of feels out of place? <laughs> I just wanted to get that Queen up. Candace <laughs> of the Ethiopians. <laughs> 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 Doesn't seem like a very Ethiopian. Name. Well, it's yeah. actually. We, that's a little off-topic, but it's actually like condoc or something like that, and this is like the Latinized version of it, that they just sort of like, there's some weird words in the Bible that it went from like Greek to then Latin and then to, to English, and so they were like, let's just keep the Latin word, and so yeah. that's why it's it's in there as Candace. It's actually a little bit more... Uh, Old-timey sounding. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> A little Ethiopian sounding as well, yeah. Like Kondok or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what Ethiopian sounds like, to be honest with you. Um, Smudgettissing. <laughs> the, uh, the seventh thing that we know about this guy that we're about to learn in verse 28 is that he has access to Scripture. And I can still sort of, like, see the picture in my, my children's Bible when I was growing up of, like, Philip coming up on this guy Who's sitting alone in his chariot with his Bible? And it's like, I'm mm. <laughs> <laughs> <missed> it <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of people had access. Not everybody had a Bible. Not everybody had access to the scriptures. But this guy, again, because he's a prominent and powerful and and rich man, he. He had a copy of at least Isaiah. Uh, he would have a scroll or some sort of papyrus or skin or something that had the scripture on it. So that's a that's an interesting thing. That that's another like deeper level of this guy's commitment yeah. to his religion is that he actually had scripture and he's he's reading it. So it, in verse twenty-eight, as we continue, he was returning from Jerusalem where he went to worship. Right, he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip. And before we get to what the Spirit said to Philip, I want to take a a second to point out that there is a difference between an angel of the Lord speaking to you or speaking to Philip and the Holy Spirit speaking to Philip. So if you see in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, right? An angel comes to him, whether it be in a dream or whatever it is, and says, go to this road this desert road on the way to Gaza and do this thing. So then he goes and he sees this guy and the spirit prompts him to approach this guy. And so the reason I want to pause on that is a big question is always asked, like, what does the spirit sound like? And I've had friends who were in the church who then sort of left the church and one of their complaints was like, "Well, everybody's always talking about like God told me this or God told me that," and it's like, "What does that even mean? What does it sound like? I've never heard it." And so they have not really experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to them or speaking through them or moving in them, and they don't really understand it when people are just throw it out like, "And the Spirit said this to me," and it's like, "Well, what? Wait, hang on. What does that mean?" And they felt. I think embarrassed to ask that question until they left and then they threw it at there like, you guys are all liars, God's not really speaking to you because I've never experienced that. Mm-hmm. So I want to pause on that and say, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, what does he sound like? Well, it's a little different. Uh, some people do hear sort of an audible voice, maybe not audible, like I can pinpoint exactly that voice. I've, I'll never forget the way it sounds, but it's like y- you hear it, kind of. And I've told a couple of stories about that where i'll be in a church service or i'll be somewhere and god will put a specific phrase sort of audibly but not really like but a specific like even cadence and phrase like say this to that person it's weird and i don't really know how to explain it but it's like not for me and normally it's like i don't want (laughs) to do that i don't want to do that Uh, So I know it's like not from me. I'm not like conjuring up this thing. It's like totally outside myself. Most of the time, it's something that the Bible would call a still small voice. So it's something that you sort of feel like I should do that. And again, sometimes it's like, I don't want to do that. But like, I I know that the spirit wants me to do that. It's sort of a prompting. And you're sort of heading that direction because you're feeling the spirit pull you in that direction. And what I will say is like, as you start to listen to that Voice to that prompting of the Holy Spirit, it gets more obvious that the Spirit is speaking to you. You sort of of start to recognize what the Spirit sounds like, not really in, like, to the ear, but, like, to the feeling. For instance, like, also, I've had dreams where when I first started having dreams from the Holy Spirit, I didn't really know, like, what is this? Like, is this from me? Is this from God? Is this... from a demon like what is going on and so it's really important to as you're sort of learning how the spirit speaks to you is seek wise counsel uh, a a Christian leader that you trust very much go to them and say hey here's what I heard or felt or dreamt or whatever and have them guide you through that And, and that's what I did when I was younger and I would have a dream and I would Go to my pastor and say, "Hey, I don't know what this is." And sometimes he would say, "I can't tell you because it's for me." Sometimes he would like give an interpretation, but but there have been multiple times where Pastor Dave has said, "I'm going to be sort of a second voice on this. I'm gonna I'm going to testify that this is from God." And so that Christian leadership saying, like, "Okay, it's good. This is okay," is important, especially as you're learning what that's like. So now when I have a, a, a dream from the spirit, I recognize it a little bit more there's a different feeling to it there's a different sound to it and now when i have those dreams i like recognize like oh okay this one's different this feels like that the the other ones in my past and so you can recognize how the spirit is sort of speaking to you so as you start to obey as you start to respond to those promptings you sort of start to recognize the spirit and how he speaks to you a little clearer so A little bit of a detour there, but I think it's important to pause and see that there is a difference between an angel sort of bringing you a message from God and the Spirit being in you, speaking to you, speaking through you, and and how that works. And we can talk about that more some other time. But as we continue on here in verse 29, it says that, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Which sounds very sort of aggressive. Uh, some of the newer translations will say, go and join this chariot. And, and it's it's not so much like, go overtake it, you know. And I, I laugh like when I'm driving in a different country. Sometimes I'll see a sign that says, like, no overtaking, like, approaching cars. And it's like, whoa. Again, it sounds, like, aggressive. It just means, like, passing you know, in, in I think that's Canada that has those signs, or maybe Germany. <laughs> But I remember seeing those signs of being like, oh, don't overtake that car. It's illegal here. Uh, but anyway, the other thing is that, again, unlike my sort of child's Bible, where there's a picture of this guy sitting alone in his chariot, again, a prominent, powerful dude, he's likely being pulled by people in a chariot that's moving. And so this sort of implies that, hey, you need to catch up to this chariot and and you need to... to You know, overtake it by by like running up on it, because they're probably moving. And it's interesting too that this Ethiopian guy's reading aloud—that it wasn't really as much of a thing back then. He's probably reading to the people who are are pulling him on the chariot, to his servants. So that's another sort of interesting side note. But he's uh, reading Isaiah. The Spirit prompts Philip to go to the chariot, and it says, "So Philip ran to him." Which again, the immediate obedience of Philip is something I love about him. He ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said to him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. A couple of things. Again, looking at Philip as the example, when the Spirit prompts you to do something, do you Run to do it. Do you do it immediately? Do you do it as quickly as possible? We should definitely learn from Philip Philip's example. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, oh, but, you know, those dudes look tough. Or, you know, there's a lot of them. Or he is like this pr- powerful guy. i going to run up on his chariot. You know, he just says, all right. And he takes off running. And he just does what the Spirit tells him to do immediately. He runs to do it. So that's something we should pull from this, that we should sort of try and be like Philip. Another thing about these verses, the guy says, how can I know unless somebody guides me? Now, last week I mentioned the new covenant, that is uh, that no one need teach you anymore, but everyone who has faith in the gospel of Jesus will know God, will have that sort of intimate relationship with God. You don't, you know, there's no more need for a man to teach his neighbor or For you to teach your son or daughter, everyone will know God in this new covenant, which of course we are in here already in Acts. So here we see a man saying, well, how can I know unless you, my neighbor, teaches me? So he's asking his neighbor to teach him. So what do we do with this? What do we do in that situation? Do we sort of pedantically say, well, if you were actually a believer, then you wouldn't have to have me teach you and just leave it at that. Of course we don't do that. Somebody's asking to learn more about the Bible and Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord, which we're going to sort of unpack that a little bit later. But the Bible also says in Proverbs, it says those who seek me, God says this, those who seek me diligently will find me. And that's what we're going to see here, where this guy has heard the word of the Lord, right? He has heard the scripture, he has said, I want to follow the God of the Israelites, he gets his own scriptures, he's, he's seeking God di- diligently, but he doesn't fully understand yet, he doesn't fully, he doesn't have faith yet, and, and maybe he does have faith, but maybe it's misplaced faith, maybe it's faith in sort of the rituals and the old covenant that Jesus sort of brought us out of, but He is seeking, right? And the cool thing about this is that God sends Philip to find Him exactly where He's seeking. This sort of deserted road, like nobody's on it, and God's like, "Go here." Again, Philip's like, "I don't know why, but the Spirit told me." Here I go, you know, and and He obeys right away, and He finds this guy seeking the Lord. And it's just an amazing thing that we see God reaching out to this guy. Verse 32 says, The place in Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? And his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, Of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So my question here is, could you do this? Like, sort of on the fly, somebody gives you two verses in the Bible, and they're like, what do you got? Could you, from those verses... Preach Jesus from these verses, maybe? Could you could you do what Philip does here? Preach Jesus from these passages. What is the uh, the answer to this Ethiopian's question here? He asks the question in verse thirty four. What's the answer? You answer me. Yeah. Okay. He's speaking. Why is he speaking about Jesus? So he's not so that prophet is not speaking of himself right yeah he's asking like like who's being led to the slaughter How, like who who didn't say a word like who like who is this person right right and wait yeah he's asking it about like who could this be yeah so what's the answer like, yeah 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 Do you want to expound on that? Do you want to preach Philip's sermon? (laughs) I was actually thinking and praying about that while we were camping. I was reading this and I was like thinking like, oh, maybe I should put somebody on the spot and make them... Because Philip's sermon is actually not recorded. So many of the sermons in Acts are recorded and this one's not. So I was like, well, maybe I should put somebody on the spot and make them preach Philip's sermon. I'm not going to do that. Uh, But it's a good question to ask. Could you do it? Could you, in that moment here's a couple of verses, wow, what's this, what is this about? Could you step in and say, I got this, and I'm going to, from these verses, preach Jesus. And by the way, these two verses are from Isaiah chapter 53, which, if you read that, it is an amazing prophecy that is so clearly about Jesus. It describes him, it talks about the things that he did, the things that he said, the things that he fulfilled, and it's like, it it couldn't, It couldn't not be Jesus. When you read it, it's like so obviously Jesus. And so it's cool to see these two verses and know that Philip basically just read probably Isaiah 52 and 53 or maybe more. But like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's so clearly and obviously Jesus. And that's what I love about that chapter. Chapter 53 to me is sort of the pinnacle of Isaiah or maybe even the whole Old Testament. because. The critics, as I've said before, will say of Isaiah Isaiah, that there had to be three Isaiahs because his prophecies of things that happened historically are so accurate that they had to have been written after the case. Well, what they can't account for is we have records of the book of Isaiah that predate Jesus by, I think, 300 years. And Isaiah is included completely in that. And this was written what Isaiah wrote in chapter 53 is 700 years before Jesus was born he writes this amazing prophecy that is fulfilled in the life of Jesus so you could just look at those passages read that chapter and you could easily preach Jesus starting with these verses as Philip did and 2 Timothy 4 says that we need to be ready in season and out of season right that we need to always be ready to, especially if somebody asks us, like to be able to, to preach, to exhort, to encourage, to sometimes warn, uh, but, but always be ready in season and out of season. And we see that Philip is here. If we continue in verse 36, it says, Now as they went down, uh, down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized four cool things about this is that he doesn't demand it he is a prominent powerful dude who is used to telling people what to do and he can snap his fingers and anything he wants will come to him and if they don't have it they will find it like that's the kind of guy that this is but he doesn't say baptize me philip he is Number two, he's in submission to his preacher. And even though he's a man of power, he is showing submission to the guy who's teaching him about Jesus. And not only that, he's even more importantly in submission to God. And and that's why he's in su- submission to his preacher, because he recognizes this guy is leading me to to more knowledge of my God. Like, I need to be in submission to him because he is in submission to God, right? Again, that, that sort of hierarchy there. And number three, there is something in modern Judaism called mikveh that is, has always sort of been a tradition, but this guy being learned in the ways of the Jews, like he would have known that, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, but even John the Baptist, like what mikveh is, is it's a ritual cleaning or cleansing. It's exactly like baptism. You go into a lake or a river, and you dip in a certain way, and it's like, it's, it's literally the same exact thing as baptism. So the thing that John was doing wasn't necessarily new, but it was new because he was doing it in such a, like, huge amounts of people saying, you guys are misstepping, like, repent of your sins and be baptized go through this ritual cleansing showing that you are not right with God and become right with God that's what John was doing so some people will say yeah Philip told him about baptism that's very possible but it's also not something that this guy would have been new to like when you enter into Judaism like that's one of the things you do you do this ritual cleansing and it shows like I it's sort of a picture of what's happening internally and that's What continues in baptism now, number four, uh, the first thing you do when you believe in the New Covenant, the first thing that happens when you have faith in Jesus is that you are cleansed from all your sin. You are sort of stepping under that payment that Jesus paid on the cross, and all of your sins are completely forgiven. You're made white as snow. So the first thing you do after that is you show it. That's what baptism is. It's It's a public declaration of your inward change I have been cleansed and now I'm gonna show that publicly I'm gonna sort of declare it by doing this baptism thing so he gets off of his high seat of his chariot he goes down in the water with this sort of dirty scruffy looking disciple of Jesus and he's baptized in front of all of his servants showing that he's in submission to his preacher because his preacher's in submission to God and they're both worshiping God together through this sort of visual of what has taken place inside him. And in verse 37, then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. So he he sort of asks, like, what is hindering me? Can I get baptized? And he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So what is the prerequisite for baptism? Yeah. Yeah, it's faith. And baptism is step two. Like, immediately, you are ready to get baptized. And I was talking to Lauren recently, and she wasn't there but somebody she knows prayed with the guy to receive the Lord and Lauren was like awesome like let's get him baptized like the oceans right there let's do this thing and they were like ah let's get him into a church first that's not necessary like here Philip he sees the opportunity this guy wants to make that declaration right away like why delay like hey look here's water (laughs) by the grace of God can I get baptized yes you can get baptized and it's interesting that some of the things that happen within the church, we are supposed to be in submission to our leaders and make sure that they are doing the laying on of hands. They are the ones sending people out. But here we see that you and I, when we pray with somebody, we are totally allowed to baptize them, right? Then in their first opportunity, you can. That is sort of a calling that Jesus even said, like, go ye therefore into all the earth, preach the gospel, baptize, you know, like that's part of the Great Commission is to to baptize people as they become saved. Verse 38, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. We have talked about this earlier in Acts, and it happens sometimes throughout the scriptures. Uh, call it beaming, call it apparition, call it whatever you want, but the spirit just poof, disappears Philip. And this is crazy awesome to me. Every time I read it, I'm like, yes, like it is possible. <laughs> like That is amazing. Just poof. As soon as Philip does what he was called to do... Poof, he's gone. And not only that, but in verse 40, verse forty, it says, But Philip was found at Azotus. Now, I don't know if you guys have a good map in the back of your Bible. You can check, but I'll hold up mine. So here, you might be able to see, you might not. Here's be- here's uh, Jerusalem right here. Here's Gaza, right? So that path, that desert road is in this area here. Right there. So that's where they're along that road someplace. And he poof, disappears. He's probably up here because there's a little river up there. That's probably where he's baptized. <laughs> the crazy thing is not only does he, like, disappear, but as it is right here, that's, like, 20 to 30 miles away. And, like, the next thing Philip knows, he's like, where am I? I'm like, find a-, find a road sign. And he's 20 to 30 miles farther from where... He just baptized this guy. This is a, uh, again, just a crazy, awesome, cool thing. And the Ethiopian probably thought that Philip was an angel. Uh, I totally would. If somebody, like, yeah. Yeah. showed yeah. up and I was like, hey, what about this thing? They totally preached Jesus to me and then baptized me and then disappeared. I'd be like, an angel's totally stopped and, like, did this thing for me. Thank you, God. This is a crazy thing. And, again... He, he goes away rejoicing, this guy. And and honestly, like, he kind of was. Like, Philip kind of was uh, an angel for this guy. Because angel in the New Testament, all it means is messenger. And he, Philip was totally this guy's messenger. The Holy Spirit, uh, or an angel, sends him to him. And then once he sees him, the Holy Spirit prompts him to speak to him. He is totally sent as a messenger to this guy. So he sort of was this guy's sort of personal angel messenger obviously and I know that there are like actual angels there is a spirit world and that exists but I'm just saying like it is sort of cool that this guy showed up and sort of acted as an angel for this guy by the power of the Holy Spirit why do you think God proved him away we uh, will read this and that might answer your question we're gonna finish verse 40 it says and passing through that is passing through Azotus which is where he found himself He preached. (laughs) So I think that's why. I think that he poofed away because God had some more people that Philip needed to to spread the gospel to. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So that is crazy because Caesarea is a long way from Azotus. If you look at this map right here, he poofed from here to there. And then he walked from Azotus by himself... Whoa. On foot, all the way up to there. Wow. Crazy long trip. He was like hoping way. for another poof. And yeah. maybe I don't. The That's one one what I don't know if he, he like got another like apparition situation where the Holy Spirit's like poofing him along the way. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> we aren't She's told. Crazy. But if not, that is a about a fifty mile trip through the desert on foot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that is that is a crazy trip, and all the way preaching the gospel as he goes. So we can turn to Romans chapter 10 to, to sort of leave you with some more thoughts. Romans chapter 10, Romans 10 verse 11 says, For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now this is Paul. Now quoting Isaiah. We just heard Philip preaching out of Isaiah 53. This is Paul quoting Isaiah chapter 23. This is a prophecy about the Christ. Right? So the him in this verse is Jesus. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Paul is quoting Joel, which is, by the way, the same passage that Peter preaches out of in Acts chapter 2. And he says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved. This is the main concept, I would say, in the book of Romans, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Also, love each other. Like, that's kind of the main push of Romans. The church in Rome had sort of a disagreement between Jews and Gentiles. They were sort of butting heads, and Paul's like, hey, you're all the family of God. Like, love each other. There's no difference. Time to put time to put away your qualms and, and, and get along. So now what Paul's going to do is he's going to sort of walk step by step through how faith comes to be, right? So call on the name of Jesus and he will save you. That's verse 13. And as we read in 14 and 15, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him? of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things this is uh, I, I love these few verses and it's a, a glorious thing to receive good news right But you can't receive good news unless there is good news. And even when there is good news, you can't receive that good news until the person who has the good news sends out the message of good news, right? Like when we see it on Facebook, hey, like sweet, someone's getting married, right? They have good news. But even though they have good news, you can't get that news until they put out the message on Facebook so that you can say, hey, great. Good news. Like, good news is great. Even the fact that there is good news is super good news. Like, I I love good news. And I want to sort of point out and walk you through Paul's train of thought here. He says that there is good news. God sends a messenger to tell of this good news. Right? That's the preacher. People hear that good news. People believe that good news. And then those who believe call on him who sent the good news, right? And those who call are saved. Like that's the train of thought as you like sort of work backwards through those verses. But he says in verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel, which just means the good news. They've not all obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So some hear the good news, but they don't believe it. They don't call on the sender of the good news, and therefore they're not saved. Verse 17, So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I quoted that verse earlier. God sends his good news, and those who believe it, call back to him. And that's how you're saved. Pretty simple concept. That's obviously what Paul just said. And I got some good news a few years back. I got a, a letter in the mail and it was about a lawsuit for a place that I used to work. And I opened it up and it said, this company ripped a lot of people off and they weren't paying people for the hours that they worked. And somebody sued. And I, I knew that this was happened. They did that to me, except for I was keeping track of my hours in a notebook. And I went to them and said, hey, I worked this many hours. You paid me this much. It doesn't add up. So they sort of stopped doing that to me as far as I knew. So I knew that that was true. So the good news was sign this piece of paper, mail it back, and we will send you some money. That is good news. Mm-hmm. I was I was happy to hear this news. Uh, sort of a shady company, and to get compensated for some time lost there would be a great thing. So I did it. I, I signed the thing, I put it in the mail, sent it off, and I a few weeks later got a check for I don't remember it was over a hundred dollars. I want to say hundred twenty five hundred fifty bucks, which is like, yeah, awesome, like it's a hundred especially in the time Annie and I were stupid, broke kids that had been married, and she was in her senior year of college. So hundred fifty bucks goes a long way buys a lot of ramen noodles. So that's, uh, <laughs> we were definitely happy about that. But if I did not obey that good news, right, if I did not obey what the letter said, then my account would not have been credited, which is sort of the language that the Bible uses for what Jesus did for us. Right. He, he credits our account with righteousness. Right. He doesn't impute our sin, but rather he credits our account uh, with righteousness. But there is, in obeying that needs to happen. Coincidentally, James worked at the same company as I did. He got the same letter. He chose not to obey the letter and he did not have his account credited. Not saying that James isn't saved, but I'm just saying <laughs> he yeah. did not obey the good news. <laughs> so my, my point in saying that is that when we preach the good news, it's important for us to tell people that it's not just like great news like someone's getting married wow that is great news I like that news this is a good news that requires some obedience and that's how we need to do it so when we preach the good news do we tell people that they also need to obey it again that's in verse 16 of Romans 10 not all obeyed the gospel not all obeyed the good news Philip he did this. He, he preached the gospel and, and we've seen Peter do it too. When he, re, last week, when he rebuked Simon, he didn't just say, go to hell. He says, you're on your way to hell, but repent, right? Right. That's the good news. Like you're on your path to hell and you're a sinner. Is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. Unless you include repent and be saved, then that's what makes it good news. So wrapped within the good news, wrapped within the gospel, there's a lot of bad news. Like there's a lot of bad stuff that had to happen for us to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of pain that he had to go through for our sakes. So wrapped within the good news is some bad news that we got to include as well. Finally, uh, Philip had beautiful feet. (laughs) Uh, Verse 15, Paul actually here quotes Isaiah 52, which is, again, he's talking about the coming of the Christ, and then he starts talking about Jesus, and he leads right into 53, and it's just a crazy awesome couple of verses that we need to get to know. Right, Get to know it personally so that when we are asked or when, when somebody asks us anything about Jesus, we can sort of preach from those passages. We need to, to, to know them well. But in verse 15, he quotes Isaiah 52 here. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So Philip goes around. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching the gospel. So according to this verse, His feet are beautiful. And uh, in that time, beautiful feet was somewhat of an oxymoron. Like, that's something that didn't really exist back then. People walked everywhere. Philip was walking, as we already talked about, 50 miles by himself through the desert with open-toed. Well, maybe he was getting poofed along. But in any case, people walked a lot. People's feet were gnarly. Like, they had crazy calluses. Like, you can't... Yeah. Like, crazy leather donkey feet. They had dirt, mud, dung. Like, you would have to sort of wade through the the horse and donkey dung when you walked through a town. If you've ever stepped in the gutter on accident, uh, you might be like, Ew, gross. Somebody's car, like, cleaning got on my feet. Back then, if you were to step in the... Gutter—it was literally sewage, like human waste, flowing through the streets of towns, like—and that's what people walked through. People's feet were disgusting. So this phrase, though we s- seems kind of weird and funny, I I believe it to be one about purity, right? It's it's something that there's a cleanliness, there's beautiful feet, which is something you don't really see back then. Jesus said that. One only needs to clean his feet in order to be clean. And he says that right before he cleans the feet of the disciples. He washes the disciples' feet, and without them even realizing the symbolism, he is preparing them to preach the good news. He's preparing their feet to be beautiful, as he is about to go and die on the cross for our sins, for their sins, and be that sacrifice in order for us to have peace with God. It is a pure and holy thing to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So to quote Ephesians chapter six, let's shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shod your feet, like prepare your feet, prepare yourself for those times that you're prompted to preach and you might not think it, of it as preaching but a lot of the time when the Bible talks about preaching it's talking about proclaiming uh, proclaiming Jesus when the Spirit prompts you to do that what are you going to say are you prepared scripturally on what to say in those moments when God says now I need you to say something what are you going to say let's pray Dear God, I just want to thank you so much for Jesus and everything that he did for us and continues to do for us. God, I pray that you will help us to prepare, um, to, to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. God, I pray that we will know our Bibles, that we will have passages sort of under our belt so that if we're asked about them, we can... We can tell people of the hope that we have because of Jesus, God. I pray that you bless the rest of this evening, bless the rest of this series as we continue through Acts, and uh, bless our, our fellowship tonight, God. We love you and praise you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The mm-hmm. so question is, do I not put out the ice cream so you guys can eat popsicle? <laughs> <laughs> Put out the ice cream. <laughs> I think it's funny how like we can these poops and we're just like, ah, oh, God, and like that's like such a hard thing for like you who aren't believers. there's like, you that? Like something like that would happen? That's yeah. Not even like the big part for us. I don't know. It's just like a funny thing. Yeah, and I've heard some crazy stories of people who were like, that was an angel, mm-hmm. and even me. Like I remember driving across a lot of the east coast with my mom we were just driving to see different battle sites and learn about u.s history and we got lost on some country road it was like night super dark no street lights and so we got off the freeway and which was probably really dark anyway. Which, which was, the, the freeway was dark. Yeah. Then we got off on the country road, which was no lights. That's and it was crazy. like, we could not see anything except for what was on in our in our lights. Yum. <laughs> uh, and out of nowhere, we didn't see a car, we didn't see anything, but this guy sort of knocks on our window and we're like, oh, oh shoot. No. And so my mom sort of like cracks the window and he's like y'all lost? <laughs> like, and we're like, oh yeah, well, we're looking for highway whatever, like we're trying to turn off and go to this town. He's like, oh okay, well you just go on over here and turn left at the cow and like, or whatever the directions were, <laughs> some crazy landmark directions. Uh, but they turned out to be like super clear and and, and we ended up getting back on track and, and as soon as he walked away we're like, of course, like I said, you couldn't see anything. So once he walked out of the light of the car it's like he's gone he's totally <laughs> out. yeah poof and, and my mom and I actually said like man I wonder if that was an angel because where did that dude come from like what's he doing out here <laughs> we stopped to look at the map but we were like still like where are we yeah and there's stories like that where people just show up random places and Val has told that story of the woman singing that hymn in the in the airport bathroom and she came out and like gave Val this like word of encouragement and Val's like wow like that's so crazy and right after she processes processes it for like a second she follows the woman out the bathroom door and she's nowhere to be found and she's like big black woman wearing a white suit you know like hard to miss yeah. and she is gone and she's like that had to be an angel, and maybe it was a person who was poofed away. Maybe it was an angel from heaven. We we don't know, but I think it's quite easy to to to. I mean, it would be cool to actually be the person that was poofed away. I've never. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can, like looking back at them; they're all confused. <laughs> yeah. Right. He just shows up in some town. He's like. God, this is different. Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. It says that, like, like the guy, like, just continues rejoicing after he disappears. like, yeah. But yeah. it's like, he wasn't there. How does he know he was rejoicing when he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> like, did I just imagine all this? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I, I actually thought about that as I was studying for this. And again, Luke is writing this and he is... Uh, Maybe he found the eunuch. That's what I'm thinking. I think he must have. I really think he must have because Luke writes as a historian and other historians trying to disprove him say that later. Like he is a historian of the first rank. So I'm thinking Luke maybe found this guy and interviewed him and said, like, how did it go down? Or yeah, I do. I totally want to hear your theory. You guys can get ice cream. Ice cream brings out theories, but I think that he got poofed away because this guy was like a very important, prominent figure, and in that culture, he probably totally would have been like, "Come back with us, like preaching my yeah, like like, preaching my country. You'll be my priest. Yeah, kind of like." Sort of getting into that awkward situation of like, nah, I need to like, like Jesus, gee, that would with Jesus. like, be our king, yeah. yeah. So, I feel like maybe yeah. the spirit just like hoofed him away so that way he could like stay on. It's course. a good theory, yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> that would be hard, like, I'm like, oh, sure, I'll like join your family. You got a little all the treasure, yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that Philip would have said yes, but I think it just sort of was like, you gotta stay focused.